All right, I appreciate it. I'm thankful for our missionaries there in Canada. And uh, sometimes we think it's bad here in the United States. And then I just listened to a little bit of news out of Canada and, uh, and to realize that sometimes it's, it's a little worse. So uh, anyway, just, uh, just we need to pray for them, pray for their ministry, pray for our ministry as well. Um, let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, continue on our study, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, young children heading out the back. Uh, at this time, so we'll let you go out the back. We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, and um, this was a very busy week uh, planning for the men's retreat, getting everything together for the men's retreat, and then attending the men's retreat. Uh, so I did a lot. I, I started on Ephesians 4, verse, starting verse 7 earlier in the week, but um, did a lot of work last night, and boy, what a blessing as uh, the scriptures just kind of opened up and uh, there's some wonderful things in this passage. But look in chapter 4 as we continue our study into verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And our first point today is spiritual gifts in the church. We want to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. Verse 7, we see that God gives us both grace and he gives gifts for leadership in the church. And I just, I, just, I just want to think about for a second, our brother already mentioned the grace of God to us. God's grace to us. And we know, folks, that grace is an important thing. Matter of fact, it's so important. The word grace appears in the scriptures about 156 times in the New Testament scriptures. And Paul was the author of about 110 of those times. So obviously Paul was one who clearly understood the benefit of grace in our lives and in his own life. And when you think about the Apostle Paul, we understand why. Because we understand the backstory. We know what Paul's life was like before he came to the Savior. And so Paul... As, as wicked and wretched as he was, you know, basically out to put Christians in prison before he met the Lord, and then the life change that took place in his life. And so Paul, understanding that the word grace is free, undeserved favor. And you know what, folks? Paul experienced that, didn't he, in his life? And he spent the rest of his life fighting for the cause of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful picture for us today. But Paul understood that grace. And so he says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The fact that our, our grace is undeserved should encourage us to be diligent 
and humble in developing the gifts that God has given to us. Now, today, we're going to particularly be talking about gifts of leadership in the church. There's In another passage of Scripture, it talks about gifts for believers' lives, more specifically. But either way, we're talking about gifts that God has given to us. And it says that they're according to the measure of the, the grace is according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, God's grace is sufficient for what he's given us to do. I'm thankful for that today, folks. I really am. We, was, we, were, we were having a good time at the men's retreat. We were, we were joking because Kenny Goss, uh, when he has to speak in public, he just freezes. And uh, he just, he just, he just can't, he just, he's, he was telling us that he just can't, he can't even think straight. And, uh, and if somebody would call on him to pray or to say, say a word, and he just, he just freezes up. That's just, that's just not him. And, uh, and, and I, I, I get that because, uh, as I've shared with you before, the worst class I ever took in my entire high school career was speech. And then I went to college, and the worst class I took in my entire college career was speech. The two lowest grades I think I've ever gotten in my life were those two classes. And so then God, in his sense of humor, said, I'm going to call you to be a pastor. And, uh, and so that's what God did. But you know what? His grace is sufficient. Because what he's called us to do, he equips us to do. It's according to the measure. God's grace is sufficient for us according to the gifts that he's given us. And, and, that, and that, uh, that, that idea here then carries on into verse 8. He says, Wherefore he, he saith, when he ascended up high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And that verse actually is a throwback into the book of Psalms. If you turn back to Psalm 68 this morning, that, that verse, a lot of that verse comes out of Psalm 68 and verse 18. And I want you to notice what it says there. It says, thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts from men, uh, for men, yea, for uh, the rebellious also, and that the Lord might dwell among them. And so Paul, in his writing here, he takes from that verse and he talks about uh, he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And the idea here, the idea that Paul is writing from is a picture of a victorious king. It's a picture of a king who has overthrown his enemy, a king that has ascended the mountain back to his city. He brings the spoils of battle with him, and then he lavishes them on his people. That's the idea. That's the picture here. And so Paul is basically taking that, that earthly uh, concept that we can understand back in those days, you know, when, when kings would go to battle, they would, they would spoil the enemy and they would bring back the spoils of victory with them. And they would either take them for themselves or lavish them upon their people. And so we get in that picture, we get that physical picture as a description of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who defeated the enemy, Satan, and conquered, what? The grave. Jesus Christ conquered the grave. And uh, he ascended to heaven, where he sits today at the right hand of God the Father, doing what? Bestowing gifts on those of us who believe. Now, what a beautiful picture that we get here from Paul in this passage. 
Then he talks about Christ uh, having descended, and we know that Christ descended to the earth in his incarnation when he came to this earth to walk among the people of this earth for his time here before he went to the cross. And then when he went to the cross and shed his blood for your sin and mine and then was put in the grave three days and three nights to do then do what? To ascend above the heavens that's what the scripture says above where we can see and folks we can see a long way these days can't we i mean we have instruments that allow us to see incredible things how many of you have ever been to a planetarium man there's some incredible pictures and video footage you can see in a planetarium oh my goodness it's amazing what is out there but folks jesus christ has ascended beyond that and he sits today at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you and for I but I want us to notice folks that Christ humbled himself first and then he was exalted you know there's a picture in there for you and I Luke chapter 14 and verse 11 says this it says for whosoever exalted himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted see folks we get that backwards we want to exalt ourselves, and we don't want to think about humility we want me to be number one we want me to have first place that's what we want to do in our lives but but Jesus Christ left us an example an example that we're exhorted in his word to follow that we would follow in his steps that we would follow the example he left behind for us and what was the example that Jesus Christ left behind for us it was an example of humility being subjected to the Father's will to go to the cross to suffer the shame on the cross that he suffered for your sins and mine that's what Jesus Christ did. He humbled himself, and then he was exalted. Listen, folks, we must understand, we must be careful about the issue of pride in our lives. You know, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. You know, we have to be careful you know, sometimes our pride gets the best of us. I won't say who, but one of, one of my children, I'm not going to name names today, thought they were a very, very good driver, and they were, but often told all of us what a good driver they were before they ran into one of our other relatives' cars in the driveway. <laughs> And I uh, had to eat a lot of humble pie over the years because have been ridiculed ever since that day about their driving. Um, and, uh, but you know what, folks? That's what the scripture teaches us. And sometimes we well up with pride in our life, and we must be careful. We must be careful. My, my wife's really good at humbling the pride in my life. She really is. <laughs> Anytime I say I'm good at something, she's like, you better be careful. The Lord's going to take that away from you or something. In fact, I mean, she's good at that. But it's, it's a true statement, folks. We must be careful that we don't allow pride to well up in our lives. You know, as Christians, folks, sometimes we can allow pride to well up in our life because we think we're better than the other sinner. We can do that. I'm glad I'm not as bad as that person. I'm glad I don't live my life like that person. And what is that, folks? That's pride. 
That's, that's, we're, taking, we're taking a spiritual issue and then becoming proud about it. What we should be saying is, thank you, God, for saving a wretched sinner like me. That's what we should be saying. We should be saying, thank you, God, for the grace, that unmerited favor that you bestowed upon me. Because, folks, you don't deserve heaven, and I don't deserve heaven. We don't. It's simply by God's grace, his unmerited favor in our lives, that those of us that have trusted him will spend eternity with him. And brother, I believe like you believe the rapture could happen any day. And those of us that are saved, folks, we are going to enjoy an eternity with our Savior. What a blessing. But it's not because of me. It's because of him. And so just one little thought here as we get into this passage. We must understand that we must be careful of this issue of pride in our lives. But that takes us to verse number 11. And in verse number 11, we see offices of church leadership discussed here. Notice what he says. He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, there is, there, there is a lot of debate among very good commentators as to whether there are four gifts mentioned here uh, four different people or five different people. There's a lot of debate as far as the last uh, part of that verse, whether it's pastors and teachers are two different people or pastors and teachers are one person with, with two positions that they fulfill. Um, I'm not going to resolve that for you today, but I will say this. If you read it in the Greek, it reads as four positions, not five. But that's just as far as I'm going to take it, folks. Because, uh, but, but either way, regardless of whether we are talking about four positions or five positions here, these are crucial, crucial things in leadership in the church. Now, two of those positions are no longer effective today. And that would be that of the apostles and the prophets. Those were things in the early church that have now gone aside um, because we have what? We have the completed revelation of God right here. We no longer need prophets to tell us what God wants us to have. We have the complete revelation of God with the completion of the, of the New Testament. It fulfilled the canon, and we have what we need. So those positions are no longer here today. But let's talk about them just for a second as, as we look into this passage today because they are important. Apostles, and, and, and we, we understand the calling of the apostles. We can, we can look back into uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, and starting in verse 1, notice what it says in Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. It says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles, there's the word apostles, are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus and Labius, uh, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And that's your list of apostles. Obviously, Judas was later replaced in the book of Acts. We won't take time to look at that today. But we have the office of, of apostles. And then we have, the, and they, an apostle was a, simply a messenger, a messenger sent out to represent the messenger 
uh, Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what an apostle was, somebody sent out to, to, to bring attention, to represent him. Then we had prophets. They expounded the Old Testament and prophesied about things to come. And that's why that office is no longer here today, because we have the exposition of things to come in God's word today. So that brings us to today's, that what's, what's left in this leadership of the church today. And we have the next one is the evangelist, the evangelists. These folks are gifted in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and folks, the office of evangelist is vital today because they're the ones that, that have been gifted uniquely by God to draw people to him. Now listen, I can get up here and preach today and somebody that's not saved may hear the word of God and they may respond and they may get saved today. Glory to God if that happens. But I am not an evangelist. I am a pastor. And so there are guys that have been gifted. There are guys that could preach circles around me today that God has gifted with the ability to bring the gospel and to bring it in a way that attracts people to the Lord. And we need those folks today. We had, we had a discussion about this out the men's retreat. We were talking about, you know, bringing in a revi revival speakers compared to just the regular Sunday preaching. And, and you know, there is, there is a benefit to both. The evangelist can come in and, folks, he can explode and he can be wonderful and he can draw people to Jesus Christ. But then he moves on. And then you need somebody behind to shepherd the flock. And so, uh, so these offices are, are vitally important, but the evangelist, the evangelist is the one that, that is, is gifted primarily in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you have the last two, as I mentioned before, pastors and teachers. And uh, basically you have the pastor is the shepherd of the flock. He is to feed the flock and protect the flock. And folks, I'll just be real honest with you. I take that very seriously as your pastor. It is my responsibility to feed you the word of God and to provide protection spiritually for this congregation. And it's not something I take lightly. It's something I, I am very concerned every week when I stand in this pulpit to make sure that what I share is the way what God wants me to share and the way he wants me to share it and that I stay true to the word of God because that's what I've been called to do. I've been called to feed the flock. And any pastor who doesn't do that is not worth his weight at all because it ought to be something to be taken seriously. We are called to feed and protect the flock of God, and that's what we need to be doing. And then teachers, instructors, people that are competent in theology. You know, part of, part of why we're working our way through biblical worldview on Wednesday nights right now, and listen, folks, we are having a great time on Wednesday nights, and if you're not there, I want to encourage you to come out. We are having a great time working our way through biblical worldview, but folks, what we really are doing is we are working our way uh, through doctrine and theology, because 
in understanding biblical worldview, we can understand what's going on in our world around us and identify and address all these things because everything in our world, as we've studied through the biblical worldview study, everything in our world that is a current cultural issue is a biblical issue. Everything. You, you can, we sat there and, and on Wednesday night and we listed a list. What is every current cultural issue you can think of? And then over the last five, six weeks, we've sat there and identified that the scripture speaks to those issues. And it does very clearly. And that's, that's why it's so important. So it's, under, it's, under, it's important that we have teachers that can instruct and, and are competent in their, uh, in their theology and be able to teach as God wanted them to teach. The purpose of all these positions has always been the same. It's for the good of the church and the spread of the gospel. That's why God gifted people for these positions. That's why God has called folks to these positions for the good of the church and the spread of the gospel. And when I say the good of the church, folks... Yes, Crossroads Baptist Church, it's for our good, but we're talking about a much more important church than even Crossroads Baptist Church. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about God's church. And uh, sometimes we really get hung up on my church, my church, my church, Crossroads, Crossroads, Crossroads. But folks, there's a, there's a much bigger church out here than just us today. And while our church is important, we want to understand that these things were written dealing with the church of, of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and that's what's important. And, uh, and, and, and then in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're not going to look there today, but it, it, we'll, we may look at that at another point in time, but in 1 Corinthians 12, we get a list of gifts that were given to the believers in the church so that they, can, that they can focus on accomplishing things in their life that are, will help the cause of Jesus Christ. But Phillips, in his commentary, uh, Phillips is a good commentary writer. In his commentary, uh, he gives some insight into these positions. And I just want to read to you what his commentary says on these, on these positions, because I think it's, it's very beneficial. He says that the apostles were those that were equipped to guide the infant church. Remember, the apostles and the prophets were the, were the starting point of the New Testament church. Uh, that, those positions have gone away, but the apostles were those equipped to guide the infant church. The prophets were those equ equipped to guard the infant church in, in telling them and teaching them what they needed to know what they needed to know. Then the evangelists were those gifted in dealing with sinners and bringing them to Jesus Christ. And then the pastors and teachers were those that were called uh, to tend to and to teach the flock of God. I think that's a great way to just kind of sum up, uh, sum up those positions. Now, Paul has, Paul has brought us this point. He's, he's talked about the grace of God and the gifts that God has given for leadership uh, in the church. And he's now covered who, what those leaders are, what those positions look like. And that takes us to point number three today, and, the, and that answers the question, the purpose of these appointments. Why? Why this structure? Why these people called? What's it all about? And he answers that in verse, 13, uh, verse uh, 12. Excuse me, verse 12. He says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
So really we have that the purpose for this is for the perfecting of the saints. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. And under that we see for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the word perfecting there is, is an important word. It's preparing or equipping. It's an exact uh, adjustment that enables the individual parts to work together in correct order. See, folks, every single one of us that has trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are a member of the body of Christ. We are a part of that body, just like my physical body has parts. I have a head, I have eyes, I have ears, I have a nose, I have arms, I have legs, I have a torso. I have body parts, and those body parts work together. They work together. I see something with my eyes, my brain processes it. I determine, you know, some, maybe somebody's throwing something at me. And so my eye sees it, my brain processes it, and tells the rest of my body to step to the side because something's coming my way, right? Those body parts work together. They function together, and that's how I'm able to get through life because my body parts function together as they should. Well, within... Uh, the, the body of Christ, we are all parts, members of that body. And what we are supposed to be doing is we are supposed to be working together, adjusting ourselves together so that the individual parts work in correct order. That's what's supposed to be taking place. And if we read this verse in the Greek, it literally reads this way. It says, toward the perfecting of the saints, and then for two things, for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So what's it saying? He's saying, listen, as the body of Jesus Christ, we need to learn to work together, come together in unity, functioning as we could and as we should. We need to come together that way for the work of the ministry. What does that mean? It's that the church might carry out the functions of ministry that it is called to complete. What are we supposed to be doing as a church? Why are we even here? We're here because there's a world that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And our function as a church is to equip people, equip the folks in our church to go out here and share their faith. Whether it be you share it locally where you live and work, or whether you go all the way around the world and share it in a foreign country. Regardless of where it's being shared, the work of the church is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ and equipping people to do it, getting the parts of the body working together so that we can, we can accomplish the ministry of the church. Spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching the lost in a dying world. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And the, and the word work there is a word that's a, that means a worker, worker who accomplishes something, a deed that carries out or completes an inner desire or purpose. Notice it's accomplishing something. Listen, folks, if our church is not accomplishing anything, we are not fulfilling the ministry God has called us to do. We're not. And if you and your personal Christian walk, if you're not accomplishing anything, you are not doing what God has called you to do. It's somebody who gets something done. You ever seen people that stir up all kinds of dust and nothing ever happens? I mean, they're busy, busy, busy. Everything's, they're like, I mean, they're like, and nothing ever gets accomplished. All they do is stir up dust. They never follow through. They never get anything done. 
And God is trying to teach us in his word that we need to accomplish something. This work is a work that has completion, a work where something gets accomplished. And that's what we need to be doing, folks. We need to be accomplishing something for the Lord. And then he says this. He says, uh, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and then this, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying of the body of Christ, to, be, to build up a building serving as a home. What are we to be serving as a home that is a suitable dwelling place for God? That's what we are to be doing in our lives. It is building up of God's church. And listen, folks, this is what we are supposed to be doing as believers, as, as, as part of the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul here is showing us, he's saying, listen, these positions by the grace of God have been given to the church leadership so that the church can accomplish its function. And its function is for the perfecting of the saints, and that is done through the work of the ministry, preparing people for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. What a phenomenal passage of Scripture, folks. This is why we're here. This is why we exist if we're not doing this, folks, then we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. And we might as well pack it in and stay home on Sundays, go to the lake or something. Because this is what God has called us to do. And he's equipped the church with leadership so that the church can function as it should and can accomplish the tasks that God has us to do. And folks, we need to be doing that as a church and we need to be doing that as individual Christians today. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the, the end of the message today. Very simple passage of Scripture, folks, but it's important for us to understand. Why are we here? Why is there a church? Why do we come on Sundays? What is our purpose? And, folks, we need to be accomplishing something for the Lord, not just spinning our wheels, not just stirring up dust, but accomplishing something for God, for His ministry for his cause. That's what we need to be doing today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as Kelly just plays for a moment this morning. Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart during the message. I don't know, but we'll wait for a moment. The altar's open. You can pray at your seat, and uh, we'll wait for just a minute today. <laughs>